0: Luke chapter 15, uh, we're gonna be looking at uh, one of the three stories in Luke 15. Now, uh, Jesus is accused of something in Luke chapter 15. I'll put my mic on, that's probably important. Uh, Jesus is accused of something in Luke chapter 15 that is not new, or for the, rather the first time in the book of Luke, uh, which is interesting. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, green light's on right there. Whoa, I'm a little loud. That's just gonna be real distracting. Could you turn me down just a little bit? Awesome. Uh Jesus is accused of something. Look with me at verse 1 in Luke chapter 15. Verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, and this is what's not the first time it's mentioned in the book of Luke, but they say this, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. I have marked in my Bible, if you write in my Bible, I put glory (laughs) next to that verse because I am glad that Jesus, uh, he receives sinners and he eats with them because I am a sinner and and Jesus has received me and eats with me. And uh, the same can be true for you and I hope is true for you this evening. Uh, But just if you'll entertain this thought, look over just uh, a couple chapters back, Luke chapter 5. I just want to make the point This isn't the first time this is mentioned in Luke. Uh, The Pharisees and scribes, kind of like bullies in the schoolyard. They don't really come up with new material. They just pick on uh, someone for the same thing. And that's kind of what they're doing to Jesus. Uh, Look at verse, uh, we're in verse 30. So Luke chapter 5, verse 30. I'm just going to read it. If you're not there yet, uh, we're going to, I'm going to read it. And then we're going to turn right back over to chapter 15. Starting in verse 30, it says, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples same terminology and all that, saying, what do, uh, what do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Or why do you, rather? Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And look how Jesus responds in verse 31. And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then we just, 10 chapters in the future, 10 chapters ahead, uh, forward, In Luke 15, they they make the same accusation, you know, slight variation of it. And instead of replying in the same way, like he did 10 chapters prior, uh, Jesus goes right into telling three different stories. And all these three stories, uh, I believe, uh, are really trying to put forth uh, one common theme. And that's what we'll be discussing tonight. And we'll just uh, hone in on that third story. Uh, But before we go any further, uh, we'll pray and then we'll get right into it. And I'll tell you what that that one uh, central thought is. Uh, right after we pray. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we need you tonight. Lord, as we look at Luke chapter 15, I pray that uh, the word of God would correct uh, errors in our heart and in our thinking uh, in connection to you. Father, I pray that uh, your word would simply just set us straight and that we would know uh, the truth about you and then practice the truth about you found in your word uh, Father I pray that your word would lovingly confront where we need to be confronted and uh, Father lovingly encourage us and, and exhort us where we need to be exhorted Father I just pray that you would uh, you would be glorified in the looking and the examining and the studying and the preaching of of uh, your word here tonight be glorified in it and then be glorified in our response to it we pray these things in Jesus name amen the pharisees had a great misunderstanding pharisees and scribes had a great misunderstanding about the nature of god there's so much about God they didn't get. Like they understood some of the verses sort of in the Old Testament. They, they knew a lot of it, certainly. They memorized a lot of it, absolutely. Uh, they knew the, uh, the, the lingo, if we can put it that way. But there is some huge points that they just absolutely were blinded to. And the fact that they kept coming to Jesus with this accusation was very indicative of that. It was very revealing of that, that they just didn't understand who God was the fact that they were baffled by uh, uh, God in the flesh condescending and, and, and spending his time with sinners just indicated that they just they just didn't get it, that they are missing it. And so when Jesus replies to the, uh, to the scribes and Pharisees here with these three stories, he makes this point. And the point that he's going to make is this, that God the Father is good and loving and you and I should draw nigh unto him. They missed it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Uh, they uh, maybe willfully, but they didn't understand these principles that Jesus is gonna teach us about tonight. And Jesus, instead of just saying, "Look, I've come to heal uh, the sinners, I've come the, the, those that are whole." Uh, those aren't the one that I'm coming to rescue. I'm coming to rescue the sinners. Instead of him just saying that, he goes into three stories to say that point just three different ways, uh, hoping that the those that would hear would understand it. But let's look at that first story briefly in verses uh, found in verses three to seven. Verses three to seven. Uh, this is often referred to as the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, but what, as we look at verses three to seven briefly, we see in verse four says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. And what's that next word? Rejoicing. When the shepherd finds that which is lost, he's rejoicing. It's going to be a common theme in these three stories, okay? He's rejoicing. And let's continue, verse 6. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, rejoice with me. Why? Because that which was lost is found. Look what he says, rejoice with, with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse seven, I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 90 and nine just persons which need no repentance. So what, what's the overview of the story? Well, there's a shepherd where a sheep is lost and the shepherd goes out and finds the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he's not, he, he's not like you dumb, stupid sheep. He doesn't say that. He doesn't doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't uh, uh, kill the sheep in the wilderness. They didn't find it. Don't want that in my herd. He doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. But instead, when he finds the lost sheep, he's rejoicing. You see the attitude? That might be different than how the Pharisees and scribes viewed God. And as we look at this tonight, what I want to encourage you to allow God to do in in your own heart and in your life, I want you to allow God to tell you from his word what he's like. Instead of, saying, God, I'm going to think about you the way that my circumstances have worked out so far. Uh, don't, don't, uh, have your, uh, don't have the view of God uh, that is informed by the world, right? Don't have the view of God that's informed by evil people doing evil things, uh, s- sinful people doing sinful things. We live in a world full of sinners. Even the best earthly leader is still a sinner. And even the best earthly leader will fail you and let you down. So that's why it's so important when we view authority and even our, especially our ultimate authority, God, it, it just it doesn't do him service to compare him on the same pedestal as all of the other leaders we ever know and meet, but rather God is on, a, on his own pedestal far above and he sets the standard of what he's like and he's trying to, to get that through to the scribes and the Pharisees and even the publicans and sinners here and for our benefit tonight, us as well. And he's trying to teach us about himself. So he he gives us his first story about the shepherd. He finds the lost sheep and he's rejoicing. Verse eight, story number two, the parable of the lost coin. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek it diligently till she find it. And when she found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together saying, use that same same concept, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Well, what's going on? Uh, a coin was lost. There was value in that coin, absolutely. It was lost. And, and the woman who, I, and some might disagree, but I believe this woman is representative of God, just like how the shepherd was representative of God, finding the lost sheep. I believe this is the same kind of concept. Jesus is telling three different stories uh, to, to prove the central point, okay? That the God, the Father, he's good and he's loving, and you should draw nigh to him, just like the, the publicans and sinners got a hold of. You scribes and Pharisees, you need to get a hold of this too. God the Father, I believe, represented by this woman as the, as the coin, the, the, the piece of silver that which is valuable is lost. What does the woman do? She lights a candle, she sweeps the house, and see, she seeks diligently till she finds it. Why? Because that piece of silver had value in it, whether it was lost or not. It was important, it was valuable. So she's going to search for it. And then we have Jesus in verse ten bringing this home. Likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels over uh, angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. We'll not have time to, to look at all the aspects of, of this uh, verse, uh, but just something I want to mention. When it says there's joy in the presence of the angels, I believe that's saying that God is rejoicing. It's just kind of a maybe you could say a linguistic or even a poetic way to say that God is rejoicing over one sinner that repenteth. There's joy in the presence of the angels. Well, who who are the angels in the presence of? God, and he is rejoicing when, when, when one sinner repenteth, right? So there's, there's this uh, interesting way that it's put there. But what's Jesus trying to tell by this story number two? Same thing he was trying to tell in story number one. God the Father, he's good and he's loving, and you would do very well to come close to him. Amen. It would not be well for you to, to, to distance yourself, to, to run away in shame, even to run away in guilt. That realize that yes, we are all condemned by our own sinful works and by our nature. But the point of God sending Jesus was that God would condescend and step into the darkness as a light, and that we might see the light and draw nigh an to him. Not that we might see the light and say, I can never draw nigh to him. That's not the point of Christ coming. The point of him him coming was that so that there could be a way for us to the Father. All right, and some people got this and some people didn't, clearly in this story. But now we find ourselves in what's often referred to as the parable of the lost son or parable of the prodigal. But I, I want us to think about this slightly different in this passage. When we think about the story of the shepherd and the sheep, the hero of that story is not the lost sheep. The hero of that story is the shepherd, right? When we think of the story of the woman and the coin, uh, we, don't spend, we don't really think the hero of that story is the, uh, the lost coin, Okay, we see where it parallels in the storytelling aspect, but the hero of that story is the woman, because the woman is representative of God, just like the shepherd is representative of God. And when we look at this last story, I want to encourage us to not look at the prodigal son as the main emphasis, neither the elder brother, though there's messages on both that uh, good, good, certainly good things are learned from both uh, of what not to do. But the hero of this story is the father. Okay, the, the I mean really just if we read it and all we see is the son and all the ills he does or all we see is the elder brother and all the ills he he's done we miss it we miss the point I don't want us to miss the point I want you and I to walk away tonight saying wow God is incredible God's great like I knew God loved me from because the scripture says so but 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 I understand it in a deeper way, and I hope that'll be what we take away from tonight. I want us to see specifically in uh, kind of the title of the message, but really uh, uh, what we're gonna kind of break down of the points. I want us to see a look, take a look at the Father this evening. Look with me at verse 11. It says, And he said, Jesus speaking now, and he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of the good that, goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he, the citizen citizen of that country, he sent him into his fields to feed swine, that's pigs. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat And no man gave unto him. Let me pause right there. If you're taking notes, this is going to be our first point. We're going to be taking a look at the father and we're going to see four different things that are true about the father in this story, but let's not lose the whole point of this story. Jesus is telling us his story to teach you and me about our heavenly father. Okay, so the first thing I want us to see tonight is the father gave his son a legitimate choice. Now, there's, there's intention for why the, the word legitimate is used. Legitimate is kind of like, it's often misused like the word literally, right? Like, I'm, I'm literally starving right now. Well, not quite. People don't often say that I'm lit- literally starving. Uh, but legitimately means like it's an actual choice in reality. Like, you, you really do have two options. Uh, it's not like it's a, uh, uh, maybe like a pseudo legitimate choice, like a false kind of, uh, where it's like you have two options, but you really know you only have one. No, we don't see that. We actually know this is a legitimate choice because the son makes the wrong decision. Like, so we know, and the the choice being to stay at home under the care and love of the father. Uh, But when his son goes to his father and he says, father, give me, we know that he, and rather when his father then gave him uh, his inheritance, we know that it was a legitimate choice because the father actually allowed his son to make this poor choice, this wrong choice. And what, what we see from this story that we ought to take away is that God does not force you and I to love and serve him. And that's not how it works. Sometimes I, I often wish that's how it worked. Uh, you know, if, uh, the, at different times in your life when you struggle and wrestle with the Lord over different things, you almost think, man, it'd just be easier, Lord, if you just took away my free will. But the point of us loving and serving God is that we choose to do it is that it, no one forces me to love or serve the Lord because that's not that's not how the nature of love works. Like, like love doesn't permit there to be a dictatorial type relationship, right? Like true love demands a choice, right? Uh, you see this within, or how it ought to be within a marriage, right? Where I don't wake up every morning and tell my wife, baby, you better love me today. That's not how it works, right? She would, uh, I would have, both my eyes be black. And I'm just, okay, I'm not uh, promoting domestic abuse in any possible way. I'm just saying that uh, my wife, uh, she, she'd be like, that's not how it works, honey, okay? Uh, I choose to love you and you choose to love me. Uh, but God doesn't force us to love him either. Uh, let me uh, give a reference in the Old Testament for this. Think back with uh, the, when God uh, first made Adam and Eve and he placed them in a garden. And I mean, really just big, beautiful garden, everything lovely. And he tells them not to do something. Well, he tells them not to eat the fruit of the tree. You ever think to yourself, why on earth did you put the tree in the garden? Like, God, you know all things. You know the end from the beginning. You know the poor choices of all people. You you know what decisions they're going to make. But here's the reason why the tree was in the garden. Because in order for Adam and Eve to legitimately serve God, there had to be a way for them to not serve God. You see, it's like, uh, if, if it's not legitimate, it's like putting someone in a round room and saying, there's only one rule, don't sit in the corners. Okay, legitimate choices matter, and God the Father, and the Father in this story gave his son a legitimate choice, and God the Father gives you and I a legitimate choice to serve and love him. No one's going to force you to do that, and you know, one of the, maybe one of the scariest realities of life that you and I should be very aware of is that because God gives us a free will and a choice, we have the capacity to absolutely ruin our lives. Really, you, actually every single person in here could make a series of choices that just absolutely brings their life to ruin. None of us are beyond that. I'm not beyond that, neither are you. All of us have the capacity to make terrible decisions that have horrible and and lasting consequences that will absolutely bring our life to ruin, just like the son where he wasted his substance with riotous living. There's a portion of his life he will never get back because the choices have consequences and he made a series of choices that had incredibly negative consequences. And you and I have the same capacity. Why? Well, because God wants us to have a love relationship with him. And in order for that to be a real love relationship with him, his choice, our choice, has to be legitimate. God the Father gives you a legitimate choice, just like the father gave his son a legitimate choice. Uh, let me mention some things about the son and we'll move to our next point. Uh, just some some notes I mentioned, or I wrote down about the son because really he uh, he just made some really terrible decisions. I just, I'll jot these down or I'll, I'll mention them and then we'll move forward. Uh, the son was selfish. He, he tells his father in verse 12 to give me. And that whole concept is like, dad, I don't want to wait for my inheritance. I don't want to wait for you to die. Uh, all your hard work and all that stuff that was going to fall to me at your death. I just want it now. So I can't speed up the death process, murder, you know, all that stuff. But just just give it to me now. Like, it's a very selfish uh, uh, statement. But he was also, not only was he selfish, he was financially unwise. Right? He, in verse 13, it says he wasted his substance with riotous living. Uh, but not only was he, he selfish or, or financially unwise, he was self-destructive. When he went to the far country, he there did not invest in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum or something. No, uh, there in the far country, he wasted his substance with riotous living. And according to his elder brother's accusation later on, which we'll not have time to, to get to, uh, he was very, uh, uh, living a very promiscuous and immoral lifestyle. Uh, we have some young years in the room, so I'll not be too specific. But, but of course, I think you understand if you're familiar with the story. He was not living a moral life in the far country. He was self-destructive, but also he's spiritually depraved. That whole aspect about the uh, uh, him going into the field, fields to feed swine, that's not like a, a positive note to the story, like, ah he got a job like right you know like oh he got a job hard worker like you know pig farmer man he's just putting in the work to really uh, change his life no that's actually to tell us about his spiritual condition that he he was so low so at the end of the rope that he because he, him being a Jew presumably he wasn't allowed to have dealings with pigs or swine of that sort so the reason that portion is put in the story cuz Jesus is trying to paint a picture of this guy that came from a good place and made terrible decision after terrible decision, even to where he was spiritually depraved and made terrible spiritual decisions with, with horrible consequences of separation, not only with, among his, his family, but among him and his God. All this is the potential of, of the choice that God gives us. But let's see point number two. The father was a good master. This is cool. In verse 17, in verse seventeen, he, he has this epiphany. You know, this aha moment, he, he realizes this incredible thing uh, in verse 17. It says, and when he came to himself, he said, so he, he's at the end of his rope. And this is what he says. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And notice the next couple words are really a comparison. And I, that's I being my father's son, and I perish with hunger. So you see that comparison. My, my father has servants and they have bread and they have bread enough to spare. They have extra. They're hired servants. They have food and they have extra food. And I, my father's son, what do I do? I perish with hunger. See a great comparison. And you only realized when he was at this position that uh, it better to learn from the scripture than the school of hard knocks, uh, which has much worse consequences. We can just learn from scripture here this evening that when you make your own choices and you become the leader and master of your own life, you actually end up uh, putting it in ruin. You make terrible decisions that maybe you don't think you're going to make terrible decisions, but we do. What he realized was actually back home when I thought it was terrible, that was actually really good. When I was with my father, like that was was actually swell. (laughs) That was great because my father is a really good master. And I know it might be kind of culturally, uh, not taboo, but culturally awkward to say that you will be mastered by someone or something, but that's certainly biblically true. And it plays out to be true in our life. We don't maybe think of it like that, like who's my master today, but you do have a master in life. Absolutely. You have someone that calls the shots in your life. 100%, like full send. Absolutely. You do have a master in your life. And what we realize from this story is that when you become the master of your own life, you're a tyrant and you'll bring your life to ruin. I don't think he thought when he was under his, father's, uh, uh, under his father's care that, you know what I wanna do? I'd like to take a lot of money and ruin my life. I don't think he thought that. I, I mean, I, I don't think so. I think he thought, I don't like having my father as my authority, and I don't like having, uh, and again, the father here is representative of God. I don't like have, living under, under his rules, him telling me what to do. I wanna call the shots. And I thought his life, he probably thought, my life's just gonna be great. When I'm my own master, but what he realized very quickly was that when he calls the shots in his life, that's the worst possible thing for him. And what you and I ought to take from this is, Lord, protect me from from that thought. Lord, protect me from that thought in my mind that says, I want out from under your authority. Lord, Lord, give me grace not to go down that road. And Lord, if I am down that road, help me, forgive me, and, and give me grace to get back on under your authority. Because my father in heaven and your father in heaven, he's good and loving. And you should draw nigh to him. But on top of that, he's a good master. And we don't have to learn from the school of hard knocks. We can just read the scripture and say, wow, you know what? He learned that. I don't want to have to go through what he went through or to the extent. Because the lesson's the same at the end. It's better at my father's house. It's better under the care of my father. Absolutely. So the Father's a good master, and again, this is true for us. God the Father, He is. He's a good master. I want us to see. Thirdly, as we're moving forward, and this is huge. This is. Uh, I think this probably from an earthly standpoint, from us trying to. Uh, 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 live out God or Christ in us. This might be one of the, uh, one of the hardest things, but also one of the most valuable and precious things that we could take away from tonight. The Father, not only was the father or did the Father give his son a legitimate choice and just like he gives you and I a, le- a legitimate choice. not only was the father a good master and that's certainly true of, of for you and I. Uh, when we're in charge, we're tyrants and we ruin our life. God God gives us grace and blesses our lives. but on top of that, number three, the Father was approachable. This is huge. Just think where the son was. Like he, like he made a mess of his life. Really, a, a depressing, sad mess of his life. And we see in verse eighteen and nineteen after he has this little uh, epiphany in verse seventeen when he when he comes to himself and realizes, wow, my, back home it was actually pretty good. And I'm my father's son. I'm, I'm in a terrible spot before that. But what he says in verses eighteen and nineteen are pretty significant. He says this: I will arise and go to my father. <laughs> Uh, I will arise and go to my father. Just pause there. Think of maybe an earthly authority that you hold in high regard. And imagine if you went to them and and, and insulted them in the greatest possible way you could and just really took their name, ran it through the mud. Uh, 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 You just really found 10 or 15 different ways to offend them. And then think to yourself, you know, I'm just going to go back to them and they'll take me. They'll receive me. I mean, that, that'd be a really good attribute of that leader to have that uh, uh, to have communicated that to you. But, but what we see here is that God the Father and the Father in this story had communicated to his son that he's approachable, that, that you can come to him. But let's continue reading. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and i am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Make me as one of thy hard servants. The father was approachable. Even though the father, put it this way, even though the father was a master over many, the father had communicated to his son that even after times of your greatest failures, there's always a seat at my table for you. Amen. There's always a place at home for you. All right? There's never a time where you've strayed so far that I don't want you back. There's never a time where, you, where you've blown it big enough where I don't want you here. That's huge. <laughs> that's incredible. What a God we have. Like that. That's not how human relationships often go. Like I, I'd lo- I, I aspire to be forgiving in a Christ-like way, but I know that I'm sure there's limits to that. In the sense that I, I, I would, I have the goal that when people offend me, I want to forgive them, uh, unlimitless or uh, limitlessly rather, how Christ tells me to. But I would imagine at some point there may. there may be be a point where I sinfully stop, but with Christ, with Christ and with the Father, it's not that. There's a a perfection to that. where When we're at at the worst, the the message that's communicated here is that the Father still wants us to return. Let's see this last point and we'll finish up. My time's near spent. Uh, So we see, firstly, the the Father gave his son a legitimate choice. Uh, Secondly, uh, the Father was a good master. Thirdly, the father was approachable. and I want to see lastly the the father rejoiced at his son's return and this is uh, an incredibly beautiful uh, section of verses here, verse twenty, and he arose, the son he arose he he did it like he was he was he wasn't just you know, hey, talk is cheap, but he was he was moving forward. he was getting back home and he arose and came to his father, and now it's just the story just changes a, a, a huge it's not from the son's perspective he He came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, he was a distance away. His father saw him and had compassion. That talks about his heart. He had compassion and ran. That's urgency. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Well, that doesn't sound like an angry uh, tyrant like a father. That's not the picture that Jesus is painting of God the Father. And you and I would do very well to correct whatever view of God that is separate from scripture. Sometimes I think, unfortunately, we we have this view of God that he's like, forgive the uh, pagan reference really, but like a a Zeus-like figure sitting on a throne with clouds around him. And you know what's in his hand? A lightning bolt. And what does he wanna do? He wants to strike down the sinner. Unfortunately, to you and my shame, we think that about God sometimes. And The devil in our flesh has a way to convince us of that when we are at our worst. And that's when we need the Bible to correct us the most. God is not like that. That's not how Jesus is describing him. But when the errant son, when the the, the great sinner returns, what happens? The father, he sees him from afar. It, it kind of paints a picture, in my opinion, that he's looking for him. And when he sees him, he runs to him. Like how James tells us that when we draw nigh unto God, God draw nigh is, will draw nigh unto us. There's, there, there's this desire, not just from us, I want to be close to God, but we realize God wants us me, or me to be close to him as well. God wants a restoration of relationship here. But his father saw him. He had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as or what he was going to say was make me as one of thy hired servants. But his father doesn't let him get there in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Why? Verse 24. For this, my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Look uh, at verse twenty-two. We'll mention a couple things, and we will conclude. Again, we're we're learning from Jesus about our heavenly Father, and we're learning that our heavenly Father is in fact good. He, he he's far, uh, forgive the English butchering. He's far gooder than I could ever imagine. Like I might think I know what good is, but God so far surpasses that. He's good and he's loving. And I think I, I might know something about love, but, but, but what I know about love when I learn about God's love, what I think I know about love is infinitely dwarfed compared to God's love. And it's this, this, this uh, eternal uh, aspect of continually getting to learn the depth of God's love and grace and mercy and goodness. The father, he rejoices. But look at verse 22. So when he tells his servants to bring these things, I just want to make a couple notes. He tells them to bring his best robe and put it on him, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What, these communicate a picture of restoration. What he doesn't say to his son when he returns is, all right, get, head to your room. <laughs> I don't want to see you for a couple weeks around here. That's not it. No, we're not, we're not negating repentance. He, he says, father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. Okay. Repentance is here. Okay. But what we often want to do is we want to dwell on the sin. That's not what our God is doing. Okay. That's not what Jesus is speaking about that our heavenly father in this, in this, in this picture painted through words. Okay. He's the father's not dwelling upon the sin, but rather the father is saying, okay, now we have restoration. Let me, let's rejoice. Let's throw a party. Let's be merry because my son was dead and he's alive again. Restoration took place. Let us rejoice. And through this story, and again, we don't have time to discuss with the, the elder brother, who I believe the elder brother is a picture of the scribes and Pharisees. And of course, the, the prodigal son or the, the younger son is a picture of, uh, of the publicans and sinners that drew near unto him. And at the end of the story, there's one son that has restoration with the father. And that's the one that ran away, that came back and repented and was received by his father, and there was rejoicing because of that. We learned that God the Father is good and loving, and you should draw nigh unto him, just like the sinners 2,000 years ago, sinners and publicans. I want to be in that crowd, Amen. because at the end of the day, that crowd gets to be close to Jesus. That, cloud, that crowd gets to be restored in a relationship with the Father, and, and, whether, and there can be debate on whether, hey, is this talking about a sinner or a son or a child of God that, that uh, has gotten away from God, I think the principles still apply for both, that we ought to draw nigh unto our heavenly father. And whatever our, our, our preconceptions are about uh, him being a tyrant or son, uh, him not receiving me or him, him uh, turning away from me because I'm such a sinner, all that needs to come face to face with what the scripture says about God and what the scripture says, the verses we looked at, that you looked at tonight, it tells us our, our heavenly father, he's good. And he's loving, and we should draw nigh to him. We draw nigh to him tonight. Let's pray.